Thank you, First Baptist Elg, and whether you're here in person or watching online, thank you for the privilege of sharing with you today. Your pastor is a dear friend of mine. Not only does he do an amazing job of serving as your pastor, but he serves with us in the Austin Baptist Association. I don't know where he gets all the energy, but uh, he does an outstanding job. And as he shared with you, he called me in the, in the middle of the week and said, hey, would you cover for me this week? Well, he's that kind of friend that you do that for. Now, here's the thing that you typically think, though. Okay, so I'm getting called last minute. I can figure out, you know, one of those sermons that I know that I've done and go with that. And he said, no, I really need you to preach on Haggai. And I'm thinking to myself, I know where Haggai is in the Old Testament, but really, other than that, we're, we're in trouble. And uh, my wife is not with me today. Bethany, my daughter, is. And I'm sure that from San Antonio watching, our granddaughter, my wife, is praying for you. You know, in working with 200 churches, I have the opportunity to, you know, develop a few sermons that I kind of like, and I preach them over and over and over again. Uh, I knew I was in trouble when Bethany, my daughter, said, you know, Dad, hey, if you ever pass out up there, I can get up because I know your sermons, you know, by heart. But one Sunday, no kidding, I told Julie, I said, you know, after the, after the service, I said, Did you, didn't you think that was an amazing service today? And of course, this was a sermon that I had preached a couple of times, and she said, you know, it was a pretty good service. And I said, you know, I, I think the music was even, you know, quite extraordinary today. And she said, you know, it was really good. And, you know, you know what I was trying to do is to get her to comment on how well I had done on my, my particular sermon. I got to the point of saying, I think even the offering was collected in kind of a, a, a great way in which I hadn't seen before. And I said, in desperation, I said, how many great preachers do you think there are in the world today? And she responded, one less than what you think. And so you are in trouble today. This is a non-repeated uh, sermon, but we're going to be looking at the book of Haggai. I love the fact that you, uh, you have notes and your pastor's done a great job of helping me blend into the schedule that you've got. So before the notes kind of start, let me give you a background on Haggai and what's going on. Haggai is the third from the end, last chapter in the book of the Bible. You have Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And in those three prophets, we kind of have the end of the, the Jewish people and their history. In 536, Ezra takes about 50,000 Jews and returns them to the Holy Land. And they, you know, they repair the altar, they begin the sacrifices, and they're going to rebe you know, rebuild the temple. So that's in 536. And then in 520, the people take up the work again. So it takes them about 15 years to get this thing going. And the purpose of why Haggai is writing is he's trying to encourage these people, hey, you've got to get with this. You've got to get the sanctuary finished. You've got to get the tabernacle finished. You've got you to be about God's work. And they were a little bit lazy. They were a little bit lethargic about all that. And in this book, in two chapters, he's going to preach four sermons. Don't worry. I already know when I'm to be done, so I'm not preaching four, just one. So these are the four sermons that he preaches. The first one begins in verse 1, and it goes from verse 1 to 15. And he preaches it, interestingly enough, from history, we know on September 1st of 520. On September 1st of 520, he preaches this 16 years after they've laid the foundation for this new temple. And I've entitled that first sermon, Putting Ourselves Ahead of God. These people had moved there. They got excited at the beginning about doing the work of rebuilding the temple. 
But then they started thinking, hey, listen, we got, a, we got our own stuff to do. And God and his priority kind of got put on the, on the back burner. And then on October 21st, 520, and again, we know this from all the historical references, about seven weeks after that first sermon, he preaches his second sermon, and he encourages them that they need to, to look back, and they need to see what God has done and they're so worried about the future, they forget all the things that God's done. And then finally, on December 24th, two months later, he tells them, he said, one of the things that you all need to do is you need to confess to God all of your shortcomings and allow God to work. And then on that same day, he preaches the fourth sermon, which is in chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Now, I know that is rapid-fire kinds of stuff, but it'll give you an overview of what's happening in the book of Haggai. Haggai was a prophet which means he was a voice for God. You can think of it almost this way. He was a preacher who stepped in to tell the people what God had for them. And so this morning, we're going to follow the lead of Haggai, and we're going to look at those first 11 verses of chapter 1. So if you've, uh, you've got your Bible there, open that up, or if not, you can look at it on the screen. We're going to be looking at Haggai chapter 1, and actually we'll start in verse 2 and we'll go through verse 11. And I've entitled the sermon this morning, A Bag with a Hole in It. Now, you don't have to think uh, very creative to figure out if you've got a bag and you've got a hole in it, you've got a problem. You've got an issue. You've got something that you need, need to rectify. And these people were consumed with trying to fill a bag that had a hole in it. The question is, do you repair the hole? Do you quit putting stuff in the bag so that nothing falls out of it? What's the solution? I have a feeling that as you hear this sermon unfold today, you're going to realize that there's some commonality, there's some connection between what we're dealing with in our lives and what the Jewish people were dealing with way back in 520. How is that? Well, we all have issues in our life. We all have things in our life that seem to consume us. And sometimes we forget that putting Christ first, putting God first in our life, is the most important thing. Now, in these two chapters, Haggai tells the people two times in each of the chapters, two times in chapter 1 and two times in chapter 2, think carefully about your way. And as we begin this morning and as we dig into the points of the sermon, I want you and me and in fact, I've got a little head start on you because over the course of the past couple of days, I've been thinking about my ways. I've been thinking about my life. I've been thinking about my priority. And what I've asked myself is this, what am I investing my life in? Am I investing my life in eternal things or am I investing my life in temporal things? What are my priorities? How are they in driving my entire life? And I've Put them in the, um, in the mindset of paying dividends. Uh, our son Thompson works with a financial institution. And if you have money, he invests your money for you. And he provides for you a return on your investment. He provides for you a dividend. If you were to describe your life today, what kind of return are you giving on the actions or the activity of your life. So let's begin by looking at the verses, and uh, we're going to again look at verses 2 through 11 of chapter 1. Okay, let's begin. It says, The Lord of armies says this, 
this people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Verse number 5. Now the Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. Verse number 10, or excuse me, 8. Go up into the hills, bring down the lumber, and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the dedication, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. Verse number 10 and 11. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew, and the lands it's cropped. I have summoned a drought on the fields, the hills, on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields, on people and animals, and on all that your hands produce. So my observation today, when life stop paying, stops paying dividends, recognize the pause. When life stops paying dividends, recognize the pause. The chosen people of God were delivered from captivity. They had left Babylon. They've gone back to Jerusalem, their hometown. The first and most important thing that they should have done was to, be, to rebuild the temple. And in verse number 2 of this passage, what are they worried about? They're worried about their own stuff. They're worried about taking care of themselves. And then when they get to it, they'll worry about taking care of God's thing. And ultimately what the Lord tells them through the verse, these 11 verses is, listen, Whatever you're going to pursue in your life, if you don't pursue me first, it's going to be as though you have a hole in your pocket, a hole in your purse. The things that you have are not going to fill, are not going to satisfy. And in fact, the Lord says, I'm going to make sure that that's the case. Is it because the Lord wants to ruin our lives? No. But the Lord knows what's the best, and the Lord wants to give us the very best, that abundant life that he's promised to us. So when life stops paying dividends, recognize the pause. So as we recognize the pause, what should we do? Well, we should admit that you and I, that we have put God on pause. You say, well, why is it so important that we recognize that? Well, if we don't do any introspection, if we don't do ever any stop, if we never do any evaluation in our life, we're just going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and doing. We have all through, uh, throughout history songs of people and stories of people who pursued things, yet at the end of their life felt as though they were found wanting. They felt as though they weren't fulfilled. 
that old song, Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, the guy who's going to spend time with his family eventually. And finally his own son grows up and his own son doesn't even have time for his dad because his, his, his son has taken off the example of the father. In your life and mine, if we don't ever admit that God is not first in our life and that maybe the dividends are not, you know, not paying you know, the big returns is because our focus is not on Him. Listen to what it says again in verse number 2. The Lord of armies says this. These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. I run into people regularly that say, you know what, I'm going to start reading the Bible, you know, one of these days. I'm going to start going to church one of these days. I'm going to start tithing when I have some more money. I'm going to do this or that someday. What if that someday never comes? What if, as that rich, that rich wealthy man says, you know what, I'm going to tear down my barns, I'm going to build bigger barns, and the Lord says, no, tonight your soul is required of you. It's over. We need to put God first. We need to put, admit that we have put God on pause. Fifteen years earlier, they just stopped. They worshipped in ruins and in rubble for 15 years. They admitted that the house of God <clears throat> probably ought to have been fixed, but they did nothing about it. How often in my life and in your life do we feel, okay, God, later. Yes, not right now. It's not a good time, but I'll do that later. That's not obedience. That's procrastination. And what I suggest to us is this, that we need to ignite our spiritual lives again. And we need to crave all that God has for us, all the good things that he has, and say, God, here I am. Whatever you want to do, God, use me. So we admit that we put God on pause, and then we recognize the real reason that we put God on pause. And the reason is we have evaluated and we've looked at our lives and we've said our stuff, our time, our thing is more important. Listen to what it says in verses 11 and 12. It, he literally says that the people lived in paneled houses. Now, that doesn't mean anything unless you, you understand the context. They went to Lebanon, just north of Israel and Jerusalem. They cut down these majestic trees called the cedars of Lebanon, and they cut this cedar bark off of that, that cedar wood, and they paneled the inside of the tabernacle, the temple, with this. And yet, what did it say? You've paneled your own houses, but you haven't paneled mine. You've put off my house, and you've done something else, but you, you haven't done it for me. Ultimately, in our lives, the things that we have, the blessings that they have, they all come from God. And the question is, are we giving back to God? Are we honoring God with our stuff? But wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not our stuff. It's his stuff. It's his blessing. It's his thing. We have to observe, we have to realize the relevancy not only for First Baptist Church Elgin individually, but corporately. I know I, I gave Jason a little bit of a difficult time for having me preach on Haggai. But reading and studying this passage of Scripture helped me realize that each one of the churches in our association has an opportunity to ask themselves, are we as a church body, are we doing all that we can for the cause of Christ to advance His kingdom? What are we doing with the resources that we have? How are we ministering in Christ's name? 
But if we're going to look at that corporately, we've got to also look at that individually. How am I doing in my own individual life? How am I, how are we as a church using our resources for God and for his kingdom? If we find ourselves saying, man, it's always another day, another day, another day, what I want to suggest is that that another day never really will come. And so it's a call for us, me personally, to say, Lord, these are the things that I have in my life. I love the illustration of Corey Ten Boone. She's the Holocaust survivor, Holocaust survivor. And she said, I approached life with an open hand. She said, it makes it so much easier, such that God doesn't have to pry back my fingers to get to the things that he wants. If I approach life with an open hand, God can put in and God can take out whatever he wants, and I never miss a blessing. And I think what the prophet Haggai was trying to tell the people is, quit holding on. Quit holding on and allow God to jump in and to take control. So when life stops paying dividends, remember that doing what you're doing is pointless. To continue to strive and to do the things that you're doing is not going to change the direction of your life. One of the great books of the Bible, and of course in your reading through and studying through the Bible, you've read through Ecclesiastes. The wisest man on the planet, Solomon. He says the pursuit of everything but God is vanity. It's like chasing wind. It's pointless for us to look at our lives to try to work harder rather than putting God first. Again, remember, Haggai tells them that they need to reflect on how they're living. They need to do a self-evaluation. So four times Haggai tells this generation, think carefully, think carefully, think carefully. If you'll just stop and reflect, you're going to see that your life is empty without God as the priority. Haggai's generation experienced aimlessness and hopelessness and meaningless because they didn't invest in the work of the God. They put it off. They ate, they drank, they worked, they lived, they bought clothes, they did all of these things, but they did it all without meaning and purpose. And that's not too big of a stretch for us because as we look at the world in which we live, the world, apart from Christ, is trying to pursue all the satisfaction, all the things without focusing on Him, without seeking Him. So why, why do we seek to merely survive when we can thrive in this abundant life that God has for us? I mean, through Him we have access to an abundant life. We have access to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The fruits of His Spirit... Yet so many of us, we put him off, we make him wait, we spend our lives living for ourselves. And like verse number six, it says the wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Can never fill up because it's always emptied out. And he goes on to say in verse number nine, he said, you expected much. You expected a great return. You expected great things. But then... It amounted to little. Disappointment again and again. 
life can seem exhausting when there's nothing to show for it. But when Christ is at the center, it means everything. Yesterday, one of the sweetest ladies I've known in my life and ministry past, and I had the privilege of being a part of her funeral service, the entirety of her life, she had health, health issues. I don't remember times when she was not walking with some kind of an aid to help her. And yet there was a celebration because her life was not defined by all of the shortcomings, all of the struggles of her life. Her life was defined by her character, by her actions, and her, her life was focused on Christ. So what would I suggest to you today? What would be the application of this first sermon to you and to us today? Here it is. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to make life pay dividends. And how do I want to say it? Just do it. I know Nike's probably going to be on me. They're probably watching this sermon this morning saying, David, you have stolen our tagline. As a follower of Christ, can I tell you, take an opportunity. I'm so appreciative, Jason, when he talked to us about tithing today. The Lord says, test me, check me out. You give. Just see if I don't open the doorways of heaven, the floodgates of heaven. The rewards of putting your life in Christ's hands, the reward of allowing God to be the financial manager of your life, the steward of your life brings purpose and meaning and relationship, but most especially, unconditional love. Jim Elliott, a young graduate of Wheaton College, he and his buddies decided that they would go and they would try to minister to a, an unreached Indian tribe down in South America. They flew a plane, they, they dropped some goodies, they made contact with these natives. And on the very first neat meeting with these natives, they killed them. And so many people said, what a waste. What a waste of a life. You, you graduated from college, you had all this before you. But they found in Jim Elliott's journal these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 say this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you. In verse, in verse number 8, in verse number 8, the prophet says, go up into the hills, bring down lumber and build the house. I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. So my suggestion to all of us today, let's go up into the hills. Let's get alone with God. Let's take the materials that God has given to us and let's use those to build and advance His kingdom. See, when your goal and when my goal come to bringing pleasure and honor to God, real meaning comes into our lives. And I've noticed this about the Lord. When He asks us to do something, He always offers us a blessing. He always offers us a promise. God never all asks you to do something that He doesn't promise something with it. And I wanted you to notice real quickly some wonderful promises in these two chapters. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 13, He says, I will be with you. In chapter 2, verse 5, He says, do not be afraid. 
In chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I will bless you. In chapter 2, verse 23, he says, I have chosen you. In Philippians, Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this. Are you completing? Are you investing? Is your time, your talent, your abilities focused on eternal or on the temporal? I believe God has great things in store for us when we seek and put him first. Let's pray. So, Lord, thank you this morning for the truth of your word in Haggai. And, God, it's amazing. We open up a little book that we probably need the page number to find. Yet, God, there are unmined riches. There are gold nuggets there, Lord, that we need to put into practice into our own life. So, God, help us to evaluate. Help us to think clearly, Lord. What are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our talent as an individual? And, God, if every individual of this church is focused on their, their resources to you first, then, God, there's a chance that we as a congregation can live in that same reality. So, God, take what we give to you. Take the little, multiply and make it much. God, guide us as we should respond to your call and to your message. In your name I pray.